Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 this morning will be our text of Scripture. Um, and it's, I told Robert, it's kind of good to get back to normal. Then he reminded me that I had never been normal uh, and that uh, this is just getting back into a pattern. So, Well, he did say we. He did say we. Um, he did say we. So we continue our study in Genesis by moving to the account of the Tower of Babel. There's a lot here. We're actually listed, slated this morning to get to chapter nine. I mean, to verse nine. We are not going to do that. Just not going to do it. Um, so, what we finished up looking at back in November was the line that was going to produce the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. We saw what became of the brothers of Shem and of their descendants. We also saw the line of Shem from Eber to uh, Peleg uh, were priests of God. The last time we were in Genesis 10, we said, we began to see the spreading over the earth through the sons of Noah. This unfortunately did not go as God commanded. Instead, we will see that the people seek to make a name and place for themselves. We will see the establishment in chapter 10, the eventual settling of the Jephthites, and their lands. Also the same with the Hamites and the Shemites. We will, this will help us to see a major theme beginning to develop. The Canaanites are a people that is set against the Hebrew. When there is conflict, it is these two who are in conflict. This will follow through as we get to the patriarchs. Remember that this is not just a bridge to the patriarch uh, Abram, but is a part of that division of Genesis. This leads us to Babel where the false mountain is built in contrast to the true mountain which will be uh, promised to Abram. From this we learned the Gentile, the Gentile Jephthites inhabit the coastland. Ham the, father, uh, Ham, the father of a false empire. Nimrod is the wandering world builder. Not all of Shem's descendants remain faithful. The Joktonites are the priestly line that falls and this covers uh, after the ba- and, and this covers after the Bible event. If you, uh, now, before we get to the line of the seed of the woman, we are told how in the days of Peleg the earth was divided. We will see the outcome of Nimrod's building, the first world empire after the flood, and we are going to notice the motivation and method of producing world empire. We will also see what produces such empire. There will have to be uh, there will have to be asked if their desire was wrong. There will have to, we will have to ask if their desire was wrong. Is world empire wicked? We'll answer that question next week. Um, from this we will learn the whole earth had the same confession uh, and words. Man's city is built on false, uh, falsehood and death. Man's city is built for his name and unity. God comes in judgment. We're not going to get to that one this week. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's Word and remain standing as we ask God the Holy Spirit to bless uh, the preaching of His Word this morning. Genesis 11, verses 1 through 4. The Word of the Lord reads, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. That They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for, uh, for mortar. And they said, Come, 
Let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let us now go to Him in prayer. Blessed and most holy God, we thank You, Father, for this Word that You've given us. God, it is Your Word. And Lord, we pray, God, that You will cause us to rest in it and trust it. Father, may it teach us what we're not to do as well as what we are to do. Father, what we are to put our trust in rather than what we are not to trust. Father, help us not to trust ourselves, our own strengths or our own abilities. Father, let us trust only in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it is in His wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the whole earth had the same confession in words. Verses, uh, verse 1, Moses tells us that the whole earth had one language and one speech. This is not parallelism, right? The words used here are distinct from one another. They are not synonyms. So we must not get confused. Moses is not saying, hey, they, they had the same language and they said the same words. No, that's not what he means here. Um, that would be redundant and it's not parallelism, right? So the first word is literally one lip. They had one lip. Uh, the, this, is, this has to do with religious speaking such as confession and we see this in Isaiah 6.5 and the word of the Lord reads, So I said, Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like here, the word has to do with our confession of religion. So Isaiah was saying, I am a man whose religion is imperfect. My confession is not pure, right? It's unclean because I've mingled it with my sin. Now, we all do this. We all have blind spots. In our confessions, there are mistakes. How do we know? Because we're sinful and we can't help it, right? As, as one apologist said, I know that I'm wrong, but if I knew what I was wrong about, I would change it, right? I know that there's things that I have blind spots about. I know there's things that I overlook or don't know, just... Don't know, because I can't know everything. But, we need to... Under so that's what, that's what Isaiah is saying. And this, this could be said of his people also. Now, I also want to reference Zephaniah 3, 9 and Psalm 81, 4 through 5, and you can read that on your own. Thus, we could say that uh, all the world confessed one religion. That's what Moses is saying. All the world had one religion. Right? Noah was the priest that come out of uh, the priestly king uh, that come out of the ark. And as a prophet, he established the world religion, obeying and following and sacrificing to Yahweh. This seems to mean at first at least that the whole world was confessing and worshiping Yahweh. The priests of the whole world were the sons of Eber. We covered that last time, a month ago. Right? And at this point, we need to notice that uh, what we pointed out in our last study, this does not tell us that every individual and tribe was present at Babel. This is no more true than all of Jerusalem went after Christ, as the high priest said, because he didn't go after Christ and he was in Jerusalem. In fact, the people he was speaking to, the Sanhedrin, made up about a thousand people in Jerusalem, and all of them almost without exception, except maybe Joseph of Arimathea, rejected Jesus, right? And so, it's a, it's a turn of phrase. The whole world was there. Rather, Nimrod, the Jokethonites, and most of the world was moving 
together and decided that they would build a city and temple in the fertile plains of Shinar, later to be known as Babylonia. They also all had the same words. This means that, um, that what one of them called a cat or a door was what, it's the same word that everybody else used for cat or door. Right? So we've got to think about this for a second because words, words not always translate one for one. Right? We, we think that they do. I mean, just in an elementary understanding of translation, you know, what word do y'all use for cat? Well, it doesn't always work that way, right? So you may, it's concepts that we're trying to express with our language. And we have different words that express different concepts depending on our culture. So anyway, but these people all spoke the same words for the same concepts. So they understood each other's language. This points to the same language as we would understand the word. They had a langu- the language of Adam handed down to them through Noah. Uh, Safar- Sarfati believes with good reason that this was Hebrew, or at least very, very similar to Hebrew. Um, so all spoke the same language and believed the same thing, but something happened that changed this situation. They began to commit the third great sin. So then Man City is built on falsehood and death. Verses 2 and 3, The Jokthanites and the Hamites find a plain and stop spreading. They come to the plains of Shinar and decide that they had spread far enough. That's all they needed to do. They would settle and become a people. This was likely a product of the perversion of their religion. We are are pointed uh, in this direction by them making false stones and connecting them with false mortar. So, they're using slime to connect the bricks. That's what the word literally means. We'll get to that um, in a minute. But they're, but they're firing bricks. They're taking mud bricks, and they're building out of it. They're using it instead of stone. Okay? It is not just that they had no stone in this plane. They were making false stones. Isaiah 65, 3 and 9, 9 through 10 read, A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick. Altars of brick. And then 9, 9 and 10 say, All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, The bricks have fallen down but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Now, notice here what's happening. They've been broken down, and so instead of going back with what God would have them build out of, they build it out of hewn rocks, hewn stone. And then, instead of having the sycamore, they replace it with cedars. Why? Because sycamores take longer to grow, and the cedars are faster growing trees, and so they're replaced. But it's replaced with that which is not true. And this was... Uh, so notice first in Isaiah 65.3 that the people were worshiping in a forbidden way. They were never to use man-made material in their altars. Exodus 20.25 20, says, And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, You have profaned it. So here they're doing the very thing that God will later tell them that is not allowed. Don't do that. 
So what Moses is telling us here is they began to make a false religion. And it's syncretism. Guys, almost always... No, I'll take the almost out. Always when the church goes astray, she goes astray by adding to her beliefs the, the beliefs of other religions. They start synchronizing these things. Syncretism is the greatest sin of the church. Right now, we are in the midst of, of a, a religious movement in our day that has more to do with Eastern mysticism than it ever had to do with Christianity. It ever had to do with Christianity. And that's why, that's why you can't have a good theological conversation with somebody because they will say something stupid at, to the effect of, well, that's true for you maybe, but that ain't my truth. You don't have your own personal truth, nuthead. You, it's true or it's not. It's true or it's not. Biblical Christianity teaches that truth can't contradict itself. It can't. Or it's not true. That's what the Bible says. God says, come, let us reason together. You can't reason if me and you can't agree on what reason means. Right? And so what we have to understand is they began to slide off the cliff. They started going to the right or to the left. Now notice, notice a play on words here. I have a lot of conservative friends who will tell us, well, you know the right's the right way because God says it's you know, the, right's the righteous way. No, no, no. Mm -mm. He says don't turn to the right or to the left. Follow me. So, I don't care what a political party may do or say, we have to follow Jesus. That's what we have to do. That's where our eyes must be. N not on who the president is or what, what's behind his name. So, they were profaning it. And then in Isaiah 9, 9 and 10, the reason for the brick and hewn stones are connected, again, pointing to falsehood. Jordan also connects uh, the brick and tar to body and blood. <clears throat> so, it's funny that I had to get this from his commentary on Daniel, but it is very, very good, um, if I can get there. He writes, The word tar, himmar, is not the same word pitch, kofar, used in connection to the ark of Noah, but it is used for the slime used by Jochebed when she made the ark for Moses, and for the slime used by the sons of Israel to build Pharaoh's works, Exodus 1.14. Actually, the substance used by Noah is not mentioned, as Genesis 6.14 literally reads, and you shall cover her inside and out with the covering, kofer. <clears throat> and it's the same word used for the cover of the Ark of the Covenant and for the atoning covering sacrifices in which blood co uh, covered articles of furniture. These associations are not to be overlooked. Noah probably used some kind of tar for his covering of the Ark. Moreover, the Ark of Moses is directly parallel to the Ark of Noah since the same word is used for both, not the word used for the Ark chest of the Covenant. And since Moses is clearly the second Noah, passing through water to become the founder of a new age. Accordingly, we are to understand that the Bible project is a new ark designed to protect humanity from the death of shatter, uh, scattering abroad 
just as the Ark of Noah protected saved humanity from the death of drowning. The Babel project is a counterfeit ark. Similarly, Pharaoh's cities built with tar are yet another Babel project, Egyptian and Hebrew slaves working together. The association of this tar with the covering provided by blood is also not accidental, especially in the context of Genesis 4. The entire symbolism is of human sacrifice. Men are made of dust and bricks are symbols of men. One need only think of the human stones of the holy temple of God to see the analogy. We are bricks in the holy temple of God. Um, Moreover, there is a stress on the firing of these bricks. They are fired with fire. Again, later passages in the Bible will amplify what is contained here in germinal form. The Bible project is built on human sacrifice, so to speak. The bricks of the city and tower are human beings whose spilled blood holds them in place and who are put into sacrificial fire in order to make them firm and usable. All of this is a counterfeit of the true temple of God. So what they're doing is they're, they're with human effort, through the sacrifice of human beings, trying to cover themselves. They're covering themselves with this tar. And this blood sacrifice is what holds them together. This is easy to see. What holds us together? Right? What holds us together? What do we have in common? What do we all have in common? The blood of Jesus Christ. We all have in common the blood of Christ. And we've all been covered with the blood. And we are bricks, right, in God's holy temple, held in place by that blood. Right? You see this, right? This is not hard to, to, get, to get. And so that's what's happening here. And, and when we consider this together, we see the false worship and human sacrifice is at the center of the Babel project. Also, we need to see that this is a replica of Cain's city and false religion. Nimrod had led the joke tonight priests into the way of Cain. The same thing that the church was warned not to do, don't go into the way of Cain. Don't be like Cain. What was Cain doing? Cain was, he was man's effort. Man's effort. Human sacrifice, man's effort to get to God. Reference also Jeroboam and his leading the northern kingdom into syncretism and idolatry for power. 1 Kings 12, 25-31. It wasn't that, jo- uh, that uh, Jeroboam thought God is, Yahweh's not the true God. He said, if they go to Jerusalem and worship once a year like they're supposed to, they're going to, go back to, they're going to go back to Judah. And they're going to leave me. They're going to run me off and they'll go back and reunite. So to stop that, he set up two places of worship so they wouldn't have to travel so far. And a golden calf. Does that sound familiar? Right? These all are connected. And to quote my wife and James Jordan at the same time, every detail matters. It means something. God is teaching us something in these details. We have to figure out what they are. It is uh, our glory to figure them out. Dig them out, right? So we must guard against this in our leaders today and call pastors and elders to fidelity to the Word and to the church. Power leads to death. Meekness leads to glory. We have to constantly remind ourselves of that. We have to constantly remind ourselves of that because, listen... Just like uh, what we read today in Mark. Power 
and pleasure rather than self-denial and meekness, which is obedience, right, leads to death. He was wedged out of his position and his protection over a godly man because he liked his niece dancing for him. And his power allowed him to do that. Right? So, the man's city is built for his name and unity, verse 4. They expressed the purpose of this city and tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Much like the word, uh, work of Cain and his posterity, they wanted to be the center of culture. And this is why what is being told us is mainly religious. We, we a lot of times want to put a cultural spin on this thing. It is more cultist than culture. Because cultist produces culture. And this is, this is why we have to be very careful. What, what Moses is trying to tell the Israelites is we have to be faithful religiously or our culture will not matter. Man builds culture through what he worships and all men worship something. I don't care. You can use the word atheist all you want to. You're worshiping something. You're going to give your devotion and love to something. Now, it may be you and an image of something else. Maybe your career. Maybe you know uh, your pretty wife and beautiful home and nice car. Maybe all those things. But you're worshiping something. It is your God, and you know how you find out who's God, uh, what what somebody's God is. Start criticizing things in their lives, and when the, the thing that they get mad and want to fight over, that's their God. That's what they bow down to. Right? You know, I think, I think your wife's a little harsh sometimes. Oh, yeah? You want, well, okay, wait a minute. I did not mean to attack your idol. Calm down. Right? So, we... we, we and, but see, that's the thing that we need to understand. We need to be able to point out to our friends and family, you've set this up as your, your God. This is what you worship. You don't worship God on Sundays because you have this as your God. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's whatever. But, but we need to see that man is going to worship something. Likely this was the worship of God. They would use the word Yahweh. They would use that word. But it was through the worship of Nimrod. He was the catalyst of this culture. Probably used some kind of phraseology as Nimrod, the Son of God. The August and Almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right? Just like the Romans did. They connected themselves that way. Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the worship in Babylon, once a year the king would go in and he would grab the hand of their false god in a symbolic ritual restating his devotion to the god and making himself god on earth. Something very likely uh, like that was probably going on. Uh, and like Nietzsche and the Russian nihilists, it was probably a culture of power and death. Many religions in the ancient world promised power through human sacrifices. We see this in the Incan and Aztec religions, killing their enemies and slaves in a ritual that they claimed gave them the power of the victim. When the priest pulled out the heart of the victim, that life force went into the culture, into the king, into the people, and they were delivered once more, and the rains would come and give them and provide them food and sustenance. That's what they thought. 
And the temple had to constantly catch blood and then they would trickle blood down the steps because as long as blood was running down the steps, they would remain in power. That's what they believed. It had to be human blood. It had to be human blood. Likely a very similar thing was going on here as Nimrod was a hunter of men in opposition to God as we saw the last time. We need to understand too, what, what, what did Cortez find when he got to South America? What did he find? He found ziggurats or stepped to a pyramids. Very much like what many people image Babel, uh, Babel the Tower of Babel, looked like. Very, very much, very likely this was a connected religion. You know, everybody hates on poor Cortez because he killed so many of those Indians, but they were doing human sacrifices right there in front of him, and as a man of God, he said, you can't do this. And he put a stop to it, but that's another story for another time. This is the very thing that, the, these are the very things they wanted was what's promised to Abraham by God in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. <clears throat> you think it's coincidence that a chapter earlier... We see the ungodly trying to do that thing for themselves that God promises to do for God's people, especially for Abraham. God promised that He was going to give him a name and a city, and He does. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10 reads, <clears throat> By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called, out, called to go out to the place where he would receive as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. <clears throat> and this is the worst part. This is, this, is, this is the worst part of it all. They were again grabbing at something that wasn't theirs yet. Had they waited, it would have been given to them. Right? It was God's design to do this very thing for them. And He would have had they been faithful. But they wanted to do it for their own pride of life and not for the glory of God. See, that's the difference. That's the difference. That's what sin does to us. Oh, yes, this is a good thing. I want it. Yes, it is a good thing. But if you don't take it and use it as God designed it, when He gives it to you, then it is sin. Right? Money's good. Wealth's good. Prosperity is good. Being able to have good medicine is good. Those things are all good. But if we do it on the backs of someone else or we take it unlawfully, it is no longer good. It is our destruction. They wanted to produce a unity around their own religion. But we are going to see soon how laughable this is. Well, we won't see it soon today. We'll see it soon next week. It is going to be laughable the way God begins to speak of and to them. God, in our next section, seems to poke fun at this situation as He relates what He does about this effort. Man wishes to reach heaven through his own efforts. The men of Babel long to reach heaven. 
This they knew was the dwelling place of God and leads to the idea that this uh, is the second ark, uh, a, a second ark project. This word used for the tar is not the same as uh, Jordan pointed out, uh, but it is, it is the slime that was put on Moses' ark in Exodus 2.3. The word of the Lord reads, But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark, uh, ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. This is the idea of covering. It is They are being covered. They're trying to cover themselves. Right? It, it, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Right? They're, they're, making, they're making leaved garments for themselves. Olive-leaved garments for themselves. They're trying to cover their nakedness. They know that there's sin and shame and they need covering. And so they're doing it this way rather than God's way. Thus, we can see that they wanted to build a mountain-like ladder to reach heaven to ward off any uh, new floods or to cause them not to have to spread out. Thus, they wanted to reach the heavens to stop the judgment. This also points to the need for a ladder to heaven. Jacob will see this ladder. Genesis 28.12 reads, Then I dreamed, and behold, then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Christ is that ladder. John 1.51 reads, And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So, so here, here's what we need. Here's what we need. We need, a, we need a means by which to reach up to God. We need a, a way by which we can ascend to God. That we can ascend and descend. Now, that's important. We need to see that. We need to see that we are ascending and descending weekly on the Son of God, being able to sit in Him in the heavenlies. We're able to sit before the throne room of God every week in Jesus Christ because He is our ladder to heaven. He is the mountain on which we ascend up unto God. He is the chief of the mountains and He was cut out without hands and now is overtaking the whole world. Listen, this ain't something I come up with in my head. It is all through the Bible. Over and over and over again, the, uh, the altar and then the tabernacle, then the temple, is a model of the mountain, the mountain of God, upon which His glory cloud rests and He meets with man. Over and over again, we're shown in the Bible that God allows heaven and earth to over, overlap each other and they overlapped permanently and perfectly in Jesus Christ our Savior. He is our ladder. He is the mountain cut out without hands. He is our Savior. It is by Him and only by Him that we can be saved. It is by Him and only by Him that we can meet with God. We can meet with... Think about that. That should blow our minds. We're able to meet with a holy God because His Son... His Son came in flesh and died our death that we can in His body meet with God. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Guess where you're at right now if you're in Him? 
You're at the right hand of the Father. You're casting your crowns at His feet. And you're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're doing those things. And you go, but, but Michael, I'm sitting in Blacksburg, South Carolina, about to burn up in this place. Right? What, what, what are you talking about? The thing that we have to understand is these are the things that God has said are true. And He's prepared His people for now 4,500 years to get them to understand that your chief purpose every week is to set your mind by meeting with Him. By walking with Him in the cool of the day. right? By being with Him on the mountain. And we can say, you have shown us your glory. And our faces should shine as with Moses. Because we are in His presence. We are graciously in His presence. Do you know how wicked I have been this week? Do you know how I deserve to die in the presence of God? But I don't. You know why? Because my sins have been removed far from me as far as the east is from the west. You know, that's a beautiful picture. Just a little side note. This is perfectly free. I won't charge you at all for it. If you go from north to south, you eventually are going to start going north again. So he could have used that illustration, but there is a distance in which you're no longer going south anymore. You're going north again. But if you go east, no matter how far you travel, you're always going east. Always. And that's why flat earth is stupid. Because it makes the Bible nonsensical. That's free too. What we need to understand is God has blessed us because what we have to understand is that Jesus Christ is the ark, the final ark. We don't need any other ark projects. We need nothing else to deliver us from the flood of God's anger because Jesus Christ has taken that flood full force. He's drank it down to the dregs and it no longer exists for me and you. No longer exists for me and you. God is not wrathful with us. He's angry with the wicked every day, but He is not wrathful to us because He has poured that wrath that we deserve out upon His blessed Son, our Savior. May we tell the world, especially here where we live in this time, that their efforts will fail them. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be righteous enough. You're never going to put sin away enough. You're never going to worship loud enough. To make your sin go away, you have to rest in Jesus. You have to trust that He has taken it from you and then live unto Him and not unto yourself. That there is salvation outside of Jesus. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. He is, he it is who has come to save for Himself a people. May God then pour out His Spirit on all flesh that His image bearers may be saved. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord God, for Jesus Christ. He is our ark and salvation. He is our ladder to heaven. He is our only Savior. We thank You, God, that You have delivered us. Father, that You purposed and then brought to pass the salvation of Your people. That, Lord, we don't have to build towers. That we don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to cover anything with blood. God, You have done it all. It is finished, and we praise God. We praise God because it is the, wo the work of the Lord, and we rejoice in it. We pray, God, these things in Your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. Wonderful name.